so hello and welcome to the CBGS podcast with a big difference today because we're in our brand new recording studio. Oh my God, it's so loud. Oh, just, this is incredible, isn't it? I'm sitting here with a lovely green Aspen weight, big fluffy mic that looks a bit mm, like it should be the bath with somebody. I don't know why. <laughs> I thought you were going to use the word delicious. Oh, delicious. That's a lovely word, isn't it? We are sat in our brand new studio. It's absolutely fantastic. We're going to, we actually plan to do a show all about the, the Aspen Way Radio, the new studio and everything. We're going to do that next week. We're not going to do it this week. We're just going to sit here and purr and admire the, the studio. And feel smug. And feel smug. It's, it's, been a, it's a project that's been a long time coming, so it's really good. Today, Why is Drew standing there with two Drew, UFO lights in front of him? So Drew is going to be uh, to, to do a tiny bit of filming for us because it's, it's not the official first show, but it's the first podcast recording in the studio. So um, It looks very interesting. It looks like a hovering small UFO he does. Although Drew's main role today, and it doesn't have to film the whole of this, is just going to be doing, monitoring the audio and making sure that everything sounds good. So there we go. So let's get into the podcast today. First of all, Paul, how are you? <laughs> Better than you by the sound of it. Yeah, let's, we won't talk about that. And, and, and a, a, a terrible night's sleep last night. Um, we just we got some teas coming in, which is which is good. And I can't have a tea today, which is a shame. But so I'm having two. Yeah. Never mind. This bit will get edited out. <laughs> will it? Well, it may not. It may make it into the podcast. Um, I'm sure uh, uh, listeners are delighted to know that we've all got teas and <laughs> Paul has his usual two. I, I, I asked Paul last time we did the podcast whether it was like, do you remember the footballer Paul Ince? He used to wet. Of course. He, he used to not have his shirt on until the very last minute when he went on the pitch and it was a superstition. And I thought that might be your two teas might be a superstition. No, it's just um, greed. Sustenance, yeah. <laughs> so you've had a great week this week. Of course. As always. And today... I'm really interested by the topic today because I think it's something that runs through Aspen Way and, and certainly... Like rock. Yes, it does. And certainly for you, I, I feel like it's one of those topics that you're just going to be able to talk more and more about. Hmm. So the effects of um, moral principles on Ooh. business decisions. So such an interesting doesn't topic. That, that sounds a bit up on itself, doesn't it? It does a little bit, doesn't it? But we'll make it not sound that way. Okay, then. So... Yes, I, f I found this fascinating. I really wanted to talk about it because it is something that is prevalent, I guess, throughout one's business life. Y you get to make every decision and those moral principles will, I guess, at certain stages be quite heavy because you will have to make decisions that will, you know, perhaps you, 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 you'd think it might work better to make it another way, but you've got to stick by what you believe in. Yeah, are we allowed to... Um include the word ethical in moral as well. Yeah, I think so. I think we can I do think, that. I think yeah. for a professional practice, I think that's a... Uh, ethical would be a good word to bring in. Yeah, I'd like to include Moral that and well. ethical, I think. But the, the, the biggest question here that I would have to ask you is, I know that you've, you will have so many stories, but is there a time that you, having asked that, that you can think straight away? Yeah. Yeah, that, that was a real moment that I had to, to, to struggle with that. Yeah, there's... Um, defining moments in my life career actually I obviously can't name the um, the uh, people involved for confidentiality reasons um, other than um, actually it's turned out uh, and I'll tell the second story which is the 
uh, not always you get this, the, the actual commercial benefit of being perceived to be highly moral and ethical. So um, many years ago, I don't know how many years ago, it was, it was actually predated Rubis House. So we were in Aspen House um, and I used to act for a very large uh, haulier waste company in Southampton that was probably the largest um, in the area. And I also acted for a, at that time, a smaller haulier, um, who at that time was really a haulier, is now a huge company, like 35 million turnover. Um, and the people I acted for who were bigger also owned part of the other company. Okay, so that's the scene. And then effectively, um, the first mentioned client, together with another shareholder who wasn't a client of mine, basically, uh, for reasons we, we won't go into today because it's not relevant, uh, tried to bury the second company to put, a, put them out of business. Um, I, I, I guess, to some extent, you know, if I was um, truthfully describing myself, quite often I, I would say I'm not capable of doing anything other than that. So, for instance, if someone talks to me in a certain manner, I will respond to them regardless because that's me, you know, I'm not capable... Um, there was a meeting um, a couple of years ago where I refused to shake the hands of all the people in the room and I actually said to them, we can only be who we are. I don't want to shake your hands. You know? Now, you might think that was bad or whatever, but that's just how it is. So what happened is, is obviously the second client was quite dis distressed about his, his, I think at that time the, the company was only about two years old. Um, and on the same day, I drove 70 miles to another client basically said to them, um, I'd like you to guarantee uh, a whole shed of HP liabilities, which were about £200,000, I think. Um, and if you do, you'll be able to own 50% of this business. And they, because they trusted me, they did. Um, so uh, the second company was saved because I brought in another client to go into business with the second client. And... Um, I remember that I was I was actually going to holiday on in Cyprus, um, and in those days I used to go into work, which was then Aspen House, on a Saturday morning, where I used to do my typing and open the post. I had my tracksuit bottom on, and there, as I was fearing, this is the morning of my holidays. The flight was like three o'clock in the afternoon. There was a letter from uh, with the stamp of the first mentioned client company. Uh, Dear Paul, this is a very difficult decision, but following. Uh, what's happened, uh, we don't wish to engage your services anymore. So I remember sitting there being, being quite depressed and actually it took me at least three days on my holiday to stop being like that, thinking, what a wally you are, Paul, you know, you've basically saved, uh, you know, you've got because at that time my turnover would have been not £100,000 of them, I thought, you know. So to lose, I don't know what it was, probably a £12,000 client, to save a £6,000 client <laughs> didn't. But but the point of it was, it was obviously the right thing to do. And I think that's the thing that I would probably, um, that's the, the the mantra or the label I would put on today. So, um, you know, I, I thought it was the right thing to do. You know, what the other people were doing was, was, was distasteful. Funnily enough, in my previous practice, the senior partner often used to say to me, uh, Paul, you've got to stop backing the wrong horse. So he was someone who would say, he's more powerful than that person, you must back the powerful one. Whereas I, I have a tendency to back the underdog, actually, as a, as, a, as a character, you know, I have done all my life. So 
that so you, that episode happened. Now, if we then and obviously you know for for a period of time, uh, the business would have been the business turnover would have been affected by my decision. We then rolled on, not very long actually. Uh, the client that I saved obviously then went on to be um, a huge company and probably at one point would have been paying us over £100,000 a year. But what was, what was more interesting is uh, a client um, that asked me to go for an interview with them um, in Portsmouth, I can't say who it is. Again, what's ironical is I've just done uh, an R&D claim for this company, uh, which is in the, you know, nearer a million than one. Um, and when I sat down, I never met, so I, I knew some of the people. Uh, one of the directors was a very strong ex-client of mine that had actually sold his business to these people. And um, the chairman, who was a lady, about five minutes into the talk, soon ran to me and says, one of the reasons you're here, Mr. Waite, is you have a, 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 an, an unbelievable reputation for morality. I said, really? And then she, she told the story of... Uh, Oh, wow. And I said, I didn't know that was common knowledge. And I said, oh, so that impressed you, did it? Oh, yes. And I, and I sat there thinking, you know, this is, this is why I think in my books, um, so I talk about some of this in one, of, in one of my books, I can't remember which one it is. And actually, um, the first book is actually, um, it's got a sub-label on it, which says doing business the right way, raising the bar, doing business the right way. So I think, you know, my, my, my whole point now as an older man is that, you know, I have proven actually that despite what seems sometimes to be um, quite an emotionally difficult decision when you're not so, you know, when you're weak and you haven't got so much money, um, in, in my case, for instance, that, that story, which, which is defining, um, has actually gone on to benefit me, you know, in the long term by a lot. So I'm not saying that, um, you know, I can't promise anyone listening to this that if they do that, it's always going to happen. but. My experience is, is if, if you actually, um, you know, if you actually do have um, morals and ideals, you know, one of the things I say to people quite often is, you know, um, so I might step my hand out and I'll say, you know, if you shake that, I'm one of the few people it means something or, you know, I like to think that, you know, I've got values that stand for something, you know, and, and I think if you've got, if you're going to have values, you've got to be consistent to them. You can't suddenly decide to, um, you know, to do something weak or whatever, because it's a hard, you know, I think you've got to say, no, I believe in this, you know, come hell or high water, these are my principles and that's what I'm going to do. Is it, I think the story, you, you mentioned it then, but we've, we've talked before about money gives you choices, but that yeah. story is so good because it was at a time when you say the turnover was, compared to now, very, very small. Yeah. And that was, that was a choice that, you know, the difference in that, money to save the, the the smaller business was was quite a big one and, and one that you know we sit here now not moralizing but everybody not everybody would make would, would have made that decision well as i say i gave an example of um someone who should have known better telling me that that you yeah. know those sort of things that i did were were expressly wrong so I, I would say probably the majority of people wouldn't have done what i did more than 90 percent, i would probably say if i had to guess it is hard though. You just said there, I can't say to anybody that's running a business now that if you follow your um, morals and you, you make those 
right decisions that you believe in that, you, that they're always going to be successful but is there a case for saying in business that if you do that you will always I'm trying to find the word for it but you, you will always have a business that you, probably more so that you, you believe in that you, you feel good about if you do that I th- well, I think, you know, we've talked about this before in, 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 in previous podcasts. I think, um, you know, we've talked about what it takes to make to have a successful business. And probably one of the qualities would be consistency. And I have said, you know, um, previously before that you can be for instance, a complete and utter bastard um, and even pro- probably be ruthless and, and have a successful business. Probably the most important thing is is to be a bastard all the time and i gave examples of people i've known who um nice as pie out of work um completely horrible uh monday to friday and they and, and, and people people that you know work for that person don't know how to take them you know so i think um i think to some extent um how one goes about framing oneself you know and one's morality and and one's code to some extent, depends on the sort of business you're running and and what sort of person you are. So I would suggest that probably as a chartered accountant, having a reputation for ethical behaviour and morality is a good thing. Would you agree with that? I would absolutely agree. Yeah. Whereas maybe if I was a car salesman, um, it wouldn't be so important. Or maybe it would be. Maybe you would be the car salesman that actually everyone said, yeah, you can actually trust this man, you know? That's, uh, I think that's, that would mean you're a very good car, sa- car salesman if that happened. Uh, there, are, there are a few that I've met that are like that and you think, wow, these, these guys are really honest. I really trust this guy. I'm going to buy loads of cars from him and come back. It's, it's interesting this because you can come at it from so many different angles. You mentioned there, you know, uh, the car industry. There are, there, are, there are probably people listening to the podcast that think, well, yeah, but I want to be, be successful. So if somebody comes along and I know that he's a, a dodgy guy, I don't like him. I don't like his principles, what he stands for. Um, but he's going to give me a million pounds to, to invest in my company. Then what, what kind of process should be going on in the brain? Because I know what process will be going on in your brain. Well, actually, just being a bit critical for a minute. So the way you put it, if someone was investing in your business, you wouldn't mind, would you? It, it would be, if you said uh, somebody with some money who was a dodgy person was going to come into your business and work with you, then I would say I wouldn't. I would rather not have the money. If they were investing in your business, but you were going to give them, okay, we'll give you a million pound, but we want ten percent. But you know this person's bad news. But if they weren't going to interfere with my business, it wouldn't matter, would it? So I guess it's all about how you set up that agreement, which is an, another topic for the podcast. I think I told you, you know, another story um, uh, I'll tell you is one, one of my very, I think it was the first session I ever had with my coach, John Holden. And um, he basically asked me a question near the end. And he said, um, if somebody came in uh, and offered you, let's say, 10 million pounds or something for your business, uh, but you knew they weren't very nice and they would not treat your employees you know, well at all, could you do that? And I said, no. So that, that would be a good answer to your question in a different way. Yeah, that's a really interesting point. And, and, a, and it's a real, that's a real one, that is. That's not me making that up. And it's one that has come up a few times as well in when you look at probably more um, public-facing businesses, probably haven't worded that right, but businesses that are in the news a lot, you, you would see that 
when people uh, have big offers for them. I, I remember a, a football club um, was one of them with investors from abroad and the chairman was saying no because they're going to change so much here. And it wasn't too much to do with the people that were employed, but I'm sure that played a part, but it was more the fans. So it was saying, well, the, the fans are going to have their football club you know, taken away and, yeah. and potentially for the detriment of the community, which, which is a really interesting one. I think one of the hard things in, um, so I, I would have to say, you know, uh, and again, you know, this, this is something I talk about a lot in, in my books, is that for me, probably the single most important thing, so there's, there's, there's different angles here. So as, a, as an individual, the single most important thing I would say was self-respect. Yeah. So, you know, if, if, you, if your default position is to do what you think is right, which is mine, then you you don't have that feeling of being cheap. Do you know what I mean? Letting somebody down, knowing you've done something which isn't right, um, because it's because it's um, commercially beneficial to you. I would say. Yeah, I agree with that. And I think that one of the other things that I wanted to talk about was when we talk about the um, the, the principles and, and the ethics that you have. And the, the, the effects that that have, has on business, I guess you've got to know what your principles are. You've got to know what you believe in, what you think is right and what you think is wrong. And I know that seems like a very simple thing to say, but mm. perhaps somebody in a business that's grown quickly or that they're, they're trying desperately to, to build may be blinded slightly by what they do believe in and may sort of forget about that and chase something else. Um, well, it's quite interesting, actually, you know, in running... You know, this topic is, is enormous. You could go off on so many different tangents and angles on this. So I think, um, you know, it comes back to the, the whole thing, I think, about, um, uh, in fact, probably one of my biggest criticisms of individuals, you know, business people and, and people generally, is a lot of people don't actually know who they are. They don't actually know who they are, what they stand for, what they should stand for, uh, what their strengths are, what their weaknesses are, what they should or shouldn't be doing. Um, and I think that's quite important. I think when you come across a person who's, let's call it comfortable in his own skin or her skin, you know, people who are at peace with themselves, I, I don't think there's actually that many people you could say that about. You know, I, I, I would have said probably less than one in 10, you know, something like that. So I think probably it would be true to say, most business people wouldn't actually know what they stood for. And they actually, I'd go so far as to say, it, it, this might sound cynical, I think most people wouldn't even understand why we're having this discussion. They couldn't see the relevance of it to business, I, I, I think. That's a good point. I, I think that's probably true. Um, see, to me, you know, it, I've, I've never actually sat down in front of someone and said, hey, you know, this is me, this is what I stand for. But I do say things like, um, I, might, I might say something like, um, uh, you know, we represent old fashioned values, you know, where people you can trust, you know, I do the handshake thing, you know, shake my hand, you know, that means something, we're not gonna run away, you know, those sort of things. And one of the things um, I'm really proud about actually is I've had quite a lot of feedback on the new website. And someone said to me last week, and I, can't, I wish I could remember who it was. And they said, the new website, um, has you crawling all over it. And I said, good, it, sh it, it should. That's what it's supposed to do, you know? I said, the whole point was the website before wasn't fit for purpose and that the new website was supposed to look like, you know, look like something I would say. That's, that's the whole point of it, you know? So I think, 
what um so you know so for instance you know one of the, one of the good things about this week i was in a um in a meeting yesterday at 8 30 in tonapandi in south wales with uh, an international group with the um, ultimate parent in oslo and the immediate parent in amsterdam uh, the company itself is, is turning over about 30 million pounds really really interesting r d as interesting as, as, as i've ever come across and um one of the things I always do, so I was with some quite high, high caliber people, you know, who very much, um, it's probably one of the few meetings where my uh, top three background has really helped. Cause I, you know, cause I could empathize with their, with their challenges. So I said, well, I'll do this for you. You know, I'll, I'll make it easier for you uh, to do all these things, you know. Um, and I think one of the things that uh, I, I, I consciously did with them is is I, I took a bit more trouble to, to to assure them of our credibility. So I talked a lot about how many years we've been doing it, um, how many inquiries we'd had, what had happened to them, and in fact, you know, the success of doing that, the, the chief executive actually said to me, uh, "Thank you for that." Um, he said, "Your um, your tr- listening to your track record was very helpful," or some of that, you know. Um, so I think, you know, the fact is that what what we have, and I think this is true, it'd be interesting to see whether uh, you guys agree with this, but I think Aspen Wake does stand for something. And the fact is, it's something I think I mentioned to you guys last week, that if anything, the more recent entrants into Aspen Wake are more Aspen Waitey than some of the people who've been there for a long time. So, would you agree with that? Yeah, I agree. And I think for me personally, it's interesting because of where I've been, I'm sure like everybody, where you've been in the past. So I won't talk about particular names of places, but <laughs> I had a job a while ago that would have been, um, would would have people that know me would know, just like the job that I do now, that job would suit me down to the ground. It would have been a dream to do that job. And it was a wonderful thing to do. And I look back on it now with great fondness because we achieved so much. But the person that I was working for had the, all the wrong, for me, all, all the wrong morals and ethics and was not a, a good person. I didn't believe in anything that he stood for, uh, he or she stood for. <laughs> and it, it, was, uh, it, was, it was a decision that I had to make personally to say, well, um, I love this job. It's great. It's, it's exactly, we're building something brilliant. I, mean, I enjoy my job every day, but I cannot work in a company or for someone or people that don't have the same values that I do. And I think that relates back to Aspen Weight because we, we talk about it all the time, but it's true. You, you sit here and not only do, do you love the job that you do, but you feel wonderful to be surrounded by people from the very top that want to do things the right way, that be, have such great beliefs. And that for me makes a difference. It might not for everybody, but it does for me. Well, yeah, I mean, I think, um, you know, one thing I suppose we've proven is that um, if you have a clear message and you go about things, I would say most importantly, in a meritocratic way, um, you will attract other great like-minded people. One of the um, one of the really lovely bits of this week, um, so uh, this show is actually um, dedicated to you guys, is the... Uh, the guys at Russell Solicitors in Great Portland Street in London, um, who um, you know we're we're working working very collaboratively with, 
and it's been um, really quite almost almost shocking. I mean, shocking in a lovely way, you know, um, to see uh, that even a, I say this advisedly, even a lawyer um, can be attracted by uh, the power of our message and its veracity. Um, and I think, you know, these are not these are not you know these are not two bit people. You know, and their impression of us is extremely favourable in all respects, I would say. You know, size, credibility, uh, attitude, you know, ability to deliver, those sort of things. If you were sat in front of somebody now in the chair at the end, which is currently vacant, <laughs> and they were sat there and they were a... I don't even know if it matters if they're a business person. I think we can, we can touch on a, a more personal level. But to, for, for somebody that perhaps was a bit lost in the world or maybe wasn't sure about the things that we're talking about, whether it really matters or not, what would you say to them? If you, if you wanted to say something powerful to, to them, maybe they own a business. I have a very flippant thought was going to Peru with Drew, actually, but that's probably not very helpful, is it? And there we go. That's the advice. That <laughs> <laughs> no, that's, a really, that's, a really, that's a really hard question, isn't it? I mean, I, I think it's... Um, you know, my, my, my instinctive reaction to that, other than going to Peru with Drew, is, um, is it's a default to my depends, because it depends why they're lost, doesn't it? I mean, if, if um, I would say any, any business person that has talent um, and is good at what they do, um, they will succeed if they keep at it and they do the right things. So I think, yeah, so I'd probably, you know, if that's what you're getting at, I would probably say, um, maintain your self-belief, have a clear plan, surround yourself with great people uh, and and believe and you will get there. And I think important maybe to add actually that if you, you mentioned before that people may not understand some people why we're talking about this, other people think, well, yeah, this is great because I have all these strong beliefs. But I would say that you, on your journey, and certainly yours, Paul, has been... Um, a lot stronger than mine. You're a little bit older than me by a year or two. Um, but on your journey, um, you you will have to probably, the expression is dance with the devil, but maybe sometimes you do. But as long as you keep your beliefs and know that perhaps, like I did, it was only going to be for a short period of time because I couldn't see myself fitting into these because I have such strong beliefs elsewhere. But, but sometimes you do have to dance with the devil. Sometimes you, as long as you keep your beliefs and you're not swayed and you know where you're going, then I guess it's okay sometimes to, to do that kind of thing. Yeah, I wouldn't, I wouldn't put it like that. I'd say, so my, again, my instinctive reaction to that would be uh, you need to recognize it is the devil. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> that's the, yeah, I think that makes sense. Now I'm thinking of Cliff Richard. Uh, was it Devil Woman that he did? Don't know why. He had evil on. She had evil on her mind. Beware the devil woman. Are you a Cliff Richard fan? She's going to get you from behind. So that's a song that predates <laughs> various levels of political incorrectness, which we won't go into. Because I am now a very politically correct person, identifying as a microphone. And it's not. Um, <laughs> it's not today's. It's not today's song either. <laughs> Political correctness is another topic that I think would be uh, good on the podcast. Probably not a very good one for me to be doing, I don't think. I should do political incorrectness. So do let us know if you've got any th thoughts on the topic today or in general. You can email us podcast at aspen-weight.co.uk. One thing I would say, um, um, great voice to man, 
is um, I think it, would, it is worth saying to the listeners that I think the people who do listen to our podcast would understand why we're talking about it. Absolutely. And, and, and one of the things, actually, just to pass on some feedback, is that um, more people listen to our podcast than actually we realise. So it, 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 it's actually starting to be almost quite a regular route, I'd say once a week. Uh, so, for instance, last week, Alex, that I, I dragged you over, you know, Alex Almeida um, from Alex's Tapas and Restaurant, or whatever it's called. Um, I said something quite early on in our meeting, and he quoted something back for me from the podcast. And I said, oh, you listen to the podcast then, do you? And he said, oh, yeah, I listen to it every week. Um, so that was, you know, that was actually quite nice. So, you know, we're starting, we're starting to build up. So there are actually people that you wouldn't necessarily... If you said to me, who do you think listens to it? You know, there's a few people I'd trot out. I'd say, oh, Gary White does, Dave Shears does, I know that, you know. Uh, I can even tell you what time of day, you know, they would listen to it sort of thing, you know. But obviously there are people more on the peripheries of our network who, without us having to do anything, have started listening to it on their own, you know. And it was nice, for instance, um, you know, people that mean a lot to me, the O'Neills at uh, Jack Tall Castle. Jackie O'Neill said to me, for instance, how much she loved the Christmas video. You know, I just thought it was, she thought it was she thought it was unbelievable actually that people like us would do something like that. That was yeah, really it's 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 quite quite. Um, we enjoyed that very much. We did very much enjoy that, and we I even talked actually at Christmas, and we we put it on the Christmas podcast I think, but about next year doing a an Aspen Wait Christmas advert because I, I inspired you with the um, well I can't remember the town it was it was definitely North in Wales. Wales North Wales yeah got um, Krakowal that wasn't really. Somebody told me, actually, <laughs> somebody told me after that that it may have been Darren in Wales, actually, that said mm. that, that, that they'd had so many visitors because of that video. It'd become a little bit of a tourist attraction because we said, well, does, is it really going to matter to them? They sell brooms and all sorts of things. But apparently, yeah, people have gone in and, uh, and they've, they've obviously seen, seen the advert. So the power of advertising. The power of promotion, Ben, baby. So we sit in a nice, lovely studio today. Next week, the podcast is going to be all about Aspen Weight Radio. We're going to tell you about the journey so far. We're going to talk about the plans for radio, the plans for podcast as well. Can't wait for that show already. Today, we've, we've got a song to play. Have we got to the end? I think we may have done. I think we've... I think we've is, it, is this enough for you? Have we done enough for you today? The only other thing that I was going to mention, uh, mm-hmm. a point of, of topic on, on this one, would be support, support in work, support networks um, of you and your fellow colleagues. I think it kind of ties in. That's what I, I really feel with Aspen Weight. You've kind of got, you've got the support of your colleagues um, and that communication between you is really important in a business as well just had me thinking that when you were, when you were talking about moral being being moral at the top it that kind yeah. of goes down with the well I think I think we sort of touched on it in a way when I that's why I, I, I was talking about um, um, the people that came into Aspen weight if anything were more Aspen weighty than yeah. um, so I, you know I think I think one of the things which is um, not wholly true um, is a very large number of Aspen weight people um, would make a client feel that they shared the same values. I think that would be true. I think um, Chris Davis, uh, who's, who's a very, very good business development executive of ours um, in Wales, when he went to the Christmas party, he said, I hadn't, re- he said, I knew that 
I knew what you stood for, but I hadn't realised quite what a family Aspenweight was. That's what he said. I thought it was a nice thing to say. Yeah, a really lovely thing to say. And I think that sort of deals with Drew's point rather nicely, you know. And I like that Drew brought that point in at the end. Who's, Drew's doing a little bit of production work um, in the studio today. But I think I feel like that should have had its own jingle. Maybe you should have just that one point every podcast that you have your own little jingle. This is Drew's bubble of the day. Like the Drew genie suddenly bursts into the studio with his jacket. I'm um, sorry. <laughs> So you should be able to say that, you see. See, in the old days, you could have said that without fear of censorship. I don't think I should say that, so I would rule that. (laughs) It's been withdrawn, but it it will probably still make it into the podcast. (laughs) Thanks, Thanks, mate. And next week, we'll be talking about political correctness. (laughs) Well, no, it's it's, it's very sad. It is a proper word, um, you know, just because, you know, it has other connotations doesn't stop it being... um, If you you were to look at, uh, you know, books written by great authors um, up until probably 1980 uh, you know he would say blah 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 he hmm, you know but anyway so going back to the point about the song so this week's song is Friday on my mind by the Easy Beats Um, and uh, I had to play it really because um, what tends to happen in most weeks is I either uh, because I'm a bit OCD I I, I listen to a, a, a tune uh, I listen to, to music quite a lot if I can't be bothered to, to, to watch anything, particularly when I'm working on Saturday or Sunday. And of course now what YouTube does, it, it, it comes up with a mixtape. It says Paul's mixtape or whatever, you know. And it's quite interesting because, um, so for instance, like yesterday, without me wanting to, I actually played one of my favourite tracks from a, a group called the Cocteau Twins. That, um, do you know them? Mm-hmm. Um, and I was, I just, it was just, it was just such a pleasure because I hadn't actually listened consciously to a Cocteau Twins song for many years, and that was that was a delight. So um, I came across Friday on my mind by the Easy Beats um, about a week ago, and it's been dancing around in my head ever since, all the time, to be honest. Um, and uh, one of the one of the nice things about YouTube is is that. Once, once it sees that you're looking at something, so then there's a documentary on the Easy Beats. So I, I watched that um, two nights ago. So the Easy Beats were a, a band from um, Australia um, who were at their peak from about 1964 to 1967. Um, the two main members of the band, uh, their parents were, I think, English and Scottish immigrants. And in fact, when you listen to the lead singer, I don't think you'd even think he was Australian. Um, I think the drummer, um, who went on to be one of the major songwriters of the band, had Dutch roots. I think in fact both the other two members of the Easy Beats did. Um, and again, it's, it, I find it, I, I find um, biographies, you know, reading about people, you know, their challenges, particularly bands around in the sixties. So you know, it won't be it won't be a shock for you to to learn that the lead singer, for instance, was yet another. Uh, 60s uh, guy who who got into drugs and became a complete mess and it's really quite sad to listen to him talking near the end of his life you know putting himself down you know basically saying you know I'm you know I'm nobody so he's a man who had no self-respect in the last 20 years of his life um so you know so it's a it's a, it's a if he said to me the easy beats you know I'm, I'm you know I would say oh yeah yeah they were a they were a band in the sixties, and what 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 happens with me is I I, I get my interest sort of awakened, so I go and look them up on Wikipedia, and then 
stop listening to their, their stuff, you know. Um, and, and for instance, they had 15 consecutive, I'm not sure if it's top 10 or top 20 hits in Australia. Um, in fact, they, they sold more records than the Beatles in Australia um, in 1964, for instance. And um, I have to say, being truthful, <laughs> Uh, I'd be interested to get Drew to listen to some of it. Some of their stuff is a bit weird. Um, uh, other other tracks for me, even ones that charted, aren't very aren't particularly strong. I think you can you can hear um, the influences of other records and groups, um, and and so you know they they've managed to write a record that's charted, but it, for me it doesn't have any integrity. Might be a word. Um, on this note, um, I just wanted to add for, for listeners, um, I happen to know that the, um, what's your band called? Sorry, I was... Death by Time. No, the other one. Drew Bag. No, <laughs> Mystical Bard. Mystical Bards of Solitude. Yeah, sorry, yes. So the Mystical Bards of Solitude have posted two new tunes onto YouTube. Is that right? Um, so this is uh, Drew and Callum, and uh, for me... Um, at least one of the one of the uh, songs that you can see on YouTube is actually better than the original, in my opinion. Better sung, um, fantastic. So I really would like you to check that out and support our local talent, which is quite immense, to be honest. Anyway, so um, the Easy Beats um, were an Australian band, very hugely popular in their own country, and as you would expect, um, the lure of basically their record company said you've got to go to London. So they all dashed over to London, and that's where um, the two more successful, you know, the songwriting ones, stayed for some time. And um, the record we're playing today would be their biggest hit in the world, sold over one million copies. Um, it was number one in several countries, uh, number six in the UK, I think about ten in the US. Um, and one of the things, you know, again, it'd be interesting um, to get Drew's view on this. One of the things I always find fascinating as a listener more than a creator of music is is how you can how you can have a band that can write relatively mediocre uh, material you know like I was talking and then produce a song like this which I think um, for me is not only uh, probably a, a, a rock classic, but it's multi-layered. Mm. You know, it, it goes off in several different directions, and it sort of rather puzzles me how the writer was good enough to do that and couldn't consistently keep that up. Does it, you know mm. what I mean? Yeah, like a, moment, a moment of inspiration. When some, so I've had it with songs sometimes when they come in and it really hits, and you just you're on that, you're riding that wave of something really awesome. Maybe it was something like that. <laughs> But what's interesting, so this, so this, the song we're playing today is called Friday on My Mind, and, it's, uh, and obviously it's very relevant because it is Friday, so the whole song is about the fact that on Monday he's got Friday on his mind, that's the lyric, you know, and he's going to have fun in the city, and obviously I like having fun, so uh, not, so fa- not so much fun, uh, a fan of the city, but uh, I've been to the city this week, so um, it's a really, really good thing, and, and uh, um, one, one positive note about my comment about, you know, about me talking about uh, inconsistent songwriting is the two main songwriters did actually go on to uh, write songs for other artists that were extremely, uh, extremely successful. Um, one notably for Grace Jones, who I'm a great fan of, um, which, is, which is actually a little bit weird, to be honest with you. So again, if, um, if any of you have got the inclination, uh, go and have a look at uh, Grace Jones's catalogue and 
listen to the song written for them by these guys. Um, so anyway, so we're playing it today. It's a really, really um, cheery song, I think. Cheery, really 60s great rock song. So uh, Easy Beats, Friday in Your Mind. You're not going to get away with it that easy. I knew you were going to just say, let the Easy Beats, Friday in My Mind. But you, you, know the, you know the drill. You know what happens on the podcast now. We're getting ready for radio season. So today, we've been talking all about moral decisions. <laughs> so I'm going to take you. So this is where you are today. So you're in a... I must get some sound effects for this part of the podcast. You're in a small bar in Wales. <laughs> Really? And sitting at a Are table. Are there any sheep there? No sheep. Okay. Uh, because we're talking about moral moral decisions. Oh, okay. Sajid Javid is there, and is he's, he? he's he's on a table sitting next to Dominic Cummins, and they're they're trying to sort out their differences. I think a, a little I don't bit. I think they're going to, are they? And uh, I think Mr. Johnson's in the toilet or wherever he is, and um, they're, they're just sat at the table, and there's no one else in no, the bar. He, he created the mess that led to the toilet, I would suggest. <laughs> and the barman's <laughs> just washing the glasses, and then you're up on a stage, and you've got your, your decks there, and you're just about to introduce your song. I'd say, hey, Jav... Sav- <laughs> Mr. Javid, David, <laughs> the ex-Chancellor of the Exchequer, I'd say, firstly, respect... Great respect. Uh, wonderful to see um, you taking responsibility for your team. Uh, I like to think I would have done the same. So my first reaction is total respect. And I'd say, um, ultimately, um, when you write your memoirs, uh, you can reflect on the fact that you are a man of greater integrity, integrity than the people who sacked you. Um, and uh, I'd go home and you go, you go and get that Friday feeling on your mind, even though it's Monday, and have fun in the city. With the easy beats. Here it is. Monday morning feels so bad. Everybody seems to nag me. Coming Tuesday, I feel better. Even my old man looks good. Wednesday just don't go. Yeah. 